What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the pod. Before we begin today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to M Flowerpot, who left a five-star review titled Profound and Hilarious at the Same Time. This podcast is a must-listen, extremely sensitive topics handled in a gentle and humorous way. If you yourself are a victim, this podcast is so cathartic to listen to. I appreciate Sebastian's overall message when it comes to abuse. Let's talk about it. Amazing host and amazing guests, 10 out of 10. It really means the world to me to hear your feedback and to know that you're enjoying the podcast. And if you haven't already, head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a five-star review. The reviews help immensely with the algorithms and allow new people to discover the podcast and help the podcast continue to grow. So thank you to everyone who has already reviewed the podcast and to everyone who is reviewing now. On Spotify, the reviews are at the top of the homepage of the podcast, and on Apple Podcasts, if you scroll all the way to the bottom, you'll find the ratings and reviews section where you can leave a five-star review and write a review if you'd like. Thank you for this lovely review, M. Flowerpot. Hey, Brooke. Hey. Great to see you and meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Yes, absolutely. I did some like wild running around my house right before this just to like, you know, just like the adrenaline of telling your story and like the vulnerability of it. I was like, need to release some of this. And I'm like screaming (laughs) running around my house. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's an awesome way to get this stuff out. I mean, it's it all stores in our bodies. So I feel like the uh, anticipation of of being vulnerable about it is even that is like, you know, it it is scary. So I I get it. And that's a that's a really good way to release some of the, the attention. How do you feel now? Good. I'm good. I'm ready. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for being here. What happened to you? Well, first off, I want to just say thank you for having this platform because a place to talk about vulnerability or like to be vulnerable and to talk about stuff like this, especially stuff that's taboo is kind of few and far between. And so to be able to talk about my story and and other people to talk about their stories um, in the way that feels comfortable to them and to also have a place where you can hear other people talk about their own stories helps you it has helped me kind of settle into healing, like that healing journey. Right. So to feel not, not as alone and whatnot. So, um, thank you for giving, giving this platform a a possibility here. Um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so glad it's, it's been helpful and I totally agree. Yeah, absolutely. So about a year and a half ago, I, uh, was at a Christmas party And I ran into one of my high school assaulters. I was with my husband and my child, and I was photographing this event. Um, And I was not anticipating that person being there. I haven't seen that person in, I don't know, 10 years, maybe. Um, And so running into him was, it was kind of a starting point to this healing process that I didn't realize that I hadn't gone through yet. Like I thought I had got come to a place of healing, um, and like accepting my story. And when I saw him, it made my like physiological, it made my body kind of restart the process and kind of process through my whole story of my sexual history. Um, mm-hmm. and kind of just check in with myself. Uh, so I, I saw him 
at this party. And of course my husband was not in the room when it happened. He had just happened to walk out. Um, and I like grabbed him when he came back in the house and was like, this person is here. I want to finish up photographing these children with Santa Claus and oh, brutal. I know. <laughs> it was like, it was like low income, you know, it was the year of like COVID. So you couldn't go to just like Santa Claus at the mall. And so that's why I was asked to photograph. And so I'm like, I'm not going to deprive these kids of this opportunity to have these photos of them with Santa. I was like, oh, suck it up, I guess. And <laughs> like the minute that the Santa thing was done, my husband was like, we're out of here. And so we both left and we both like got in the car. We're like, all right, that was let's go and like deep process that. It yeah, was, it was chaos. And so I thought it, it I actually started having PTSD after that, um, which isn't something that I, I hadn't experienced it in the manner that I did. And then everything just kind of felt chaotic in my life. And that takes us to me shaving my head right around, I think it was end of February. So this all happened December, end of February, 2021, last year, mm -hmm. I shaved my head. I posted it on TikTok. Millions and millions of people saw it. And then it was kind of like the door opening to the healing process and revisiting everything that I had gone through. There's so many things that you just said there that I relate to. Like, I mean, I've been doing stand-up for almost five years now about being molested, and I thought that I had figured it out. I thought that I was done, basically. And uh, not done, maybe, but I thought that for the most part, you know, I was like pretty much good to go. And uh, and then I remember seeing uh, the guy who molested me when I went home for, I think, Christmas, maybe last Christmas. I forget when it was. But um, you go t immediately back into fight or flight. We just have emotions that are trapped inside of us that sometimes don't show themselves until we get into those extreme situations like seeing the people that abused us. But I think that there's a, an important distinction to make, which is that I don't know if it's us restarting our healing journey so much as continuing it. I think that it doesn't void all of the progress that we've made so far to realize that oh you still we still have more to go and trying to view these things as like i'm going to feel better than i already do instead of like fuck i thought i was done i thought i had figured this out yeah. it's a it's a good shift and it's not just related to trauma it's like anything that comes up any sort of negative emotion or you know i think this is part of why i was so resistant to go to therapy for so long was because i was like that almost felt like I was acknowledging that I needed more help. But sometimes it's like these are just, it, it's just opportunities to heal more. And we don't need to feel guilty or regretful about everything that we have done up until this point because it brought us to this point. And this point is just showing us that like, hey, there's going to come a time where you feel even better than you already do. So I totally uh, agree. I think too, like with healing, uh, something that my therapist said yesterday when I was like, just going over kind of what I wanted to, what I was comfortable with everything, you know, just kind of processing things. She said that your psyche knows when you're ready to face certain things in your past. Right. So like we have maybe not necessarily unhealed trauma, but maybe things that our brain has suppressed. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we have these memories that kind of come up. It's almost as if like your psyche knows like, okay, next, like it's the next thing that we get to work on together. It's kind of like that. And even it's kind of, cool to talk about this part of my story is in regards to my husband. Um, we started dating a, uh, second 
year or second semester of senior year. And I would tell of him high school or college of high school. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we've been, we've known each other since eighth grade, but then we like, we like dated in eighth grade. It's like eight weeks, nine weeks and five days. It was like in my diary. <laughs> That's very uh, significant at that time. It was very important to write it down in my diary. Yes. Um, and I love that I still have it too, which is hilarious. <laughs> but um, when we started dating again, I would tell him something that happened in my story, right? Like it, to me, like I, I had, you know, I was raped in high school and he is such a rock, which is hilarious because that's my last name as well. But he is really <laughs> a rock in my life because he'd be like, what that happens? Like he would have all these emotions. And at first I was like, why are you having all these emotions? I didn't even have those emotions. Mm. Well, not having emotions isn't a strength. It's almost like unprocessed trauma. I, d- I just didn't give, I didn't give myself the allowance to have those emotions. He gave me the permission to be angry, to be upset, to be sad. And then it, we would talk about it. And then for like two weeks, he, we would like kind of grieve through it together. And then we would, we called it leveling up. It's like, okay, well, we did that story. Now what? Like next story. And so then we kind of went through all these stories and I, I was able to tell him things that have happened to me. And of course that, you know, and periodically throughout my life, I, our, our relationship of the last 10 years, I've had to like tell him another one. I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, this happened. He's like, how did I know that? But it was cool because people in your life also allow you to grieve your stories, right? Or like help you through your stories, even if they don't realize that. He was an aid in me realizing I'm allowed to have feelings about this. I'm allowed to be angry. And then when this happened, when I ran into, uh, we'll call him Greg. Okay. I had to think of a name for him. His name is Greg. And I'm going to say Greg because it makes me giggle. I don't know what it is about that name that makes me giggle, but it makes <laughs> me feel like I can giggle about this story just a little bit more than grieving. Um, we ran into Greg and <laughs> <laughs> that definitely started like the next chapter of my healing that I understood at a different level or like a different place in my life. I understood it as like an adult, as a mother to a, a female child to as a wife like completely different so far away from when it happened it was like 10 years later well i mean you'd leveled up that's leveled up what an amazing way to perceive it i love it because it's also like it's the same thing as realizing i'm you're gonna feel better you're growing and i totally feel that way about your psyche really what that's saying is that you've been progressing you're now allowing emotions that haven't been able to come up until this point to come up and you know, I think especially when we go through these things at that age, I felt the same way where there's like the unconscious suppression of trauma where it's just like this is too shocking and I'm a child and I don't know how to handle this. And we, you know, inevitably bury probably most of our emotions just through that biological response. But then there's also the conscious suppression of emotion where, and I'm curious if you felt this way. I felt like I couldn't be emotional around anyone because I thought that that would make people further identify me as the kid who got molested. If I was crying or emotional or doing anything other than just being like, you know, happy, I thought people would just immediately be like, I know why you're like this. See, you are fucked up. I thought that people who were closest to me, like my parents, would be mad at themselves because the more emotional I was, the more 
affected I was by the trauma and then the more they would blame themselves for not having noticed it sooner or you know things like that you start trying to juggle the emotions of the people around you in many ways we it's so reasonable for us to still be having these emotions come up even to this day and maybe throughout the rest of our lives because we didn't allow ourselves to feel any of it but oftentimes especially like as it was all going on you know like the most extreme emotions they're there still so as they come up it's like treating it as a leveling up opportunity is such a great way to think of it i love it I, yeah meeting yourself where you are is is essential and i think when we have different understandings at a different point in our life, we can see it from a different lens. It's very cool. I will say like, even just having this opportunity to speak with you is really cool because uh, your podcast has been such an, such a tool in aiding in my own healing um, to be able to like go on walks with my dogs and to like pop in my headphones and listen to your story. I also found so much value of walking and talk like either talking about hard things or listening to like your show um, or your podcast, because you're walking kind of through the problem physically while mm. you're like processing it. So I think that's kind of cool. Cause yeah, this, this whole experience has been amazing. And then I felt so all of a sudden I like woke up one day and I was like, I need to send it in a video. Like, even <laughs> if it, like I send it in, I submit it and I hear nothing. Great. Fine. It like it, as long as it serves me in some way, that's all that really matters. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm so, so glad to hear that. And, and thank you. It's yeah. the, the walking and talking is very similar to how you um, prepared for this podcast, sprinting around your house. It's the movement of your body. It's, you know, I, I think sometimes, especially with sexual trauma, we experience this paralysis that ties our emotions to like being frozen in our, you know, for, for me, like I would just play possum. Like every time I got molested, I was like, I'm going to just act like this is not happening. And basically like you physically freeze and emotionally freeze. So when you start getting your body moving, you combine those two things. It's like talking about the thing that you're afraid to talk about and physically moving your body at the same time. Inevitably, that helps, you know, maybe even more so than doing either of those things on their own. It's like you combine the two and it's powerful. Part of why I wanted to have like the submission page is to have just a place where people can it's, I mean, in many ways, it's just like a way for you to, I know that you're like talking to me and I see all of these videos, but it's also just a way for people, a lot of people oftentimes who haven't spoken about it at all to be like, get, get their thoughts out. Like, here's what I would talk about, or, you know, just a place where people can begin the dialogue if they haven't already. And then if you've been talking about it for ages, then just to continue talking about it. So you said that this first, uh, the guy that you ran into at the Christmas party was one of your assaults. Yes. So did you experience anything before that? I did. So as a child, um, I was the first time that I was uh, molested. I was two and a half, I guess. Um, my mom was, uh, she took me somewhere and um, there was a person in the room that didn't know any better. He was, um, mentally ill and he, my mom had like left the room, a different lady walked in the room and he had his hands down my pants. Hmm. I don't remember any of this. We kind of went over this, like maybe a week and a half ago, just, she was talking to me about it. Uh, she had told me when I was younger, maybe when I was like 16 or something about it. I don't remember it. I guess I did pretty well with it. Like my mom and so many other people in my life, I guess, are checking in with me. They're like, this happened. How are you doing? And I was like, 
I'm good. And just kind of like went on with them with my life. And I was like, I'm actually like kind of glad, you know, because at that time you're like, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to be doing something like that, but you don't process it in different. I don't know. I don't know. It was just very interesting to hear this story that happened to me and have no knowledge of it. No knowledge. Yeah, that's very so, trippy. The thing is, is I really don't have any connection to the story. Yeah. That's the crazy part. I think I was so, I was like young enough that I didn't process it in a way that like, like I can now about things that I remember. Um, I think it was just really hard on my mom because that was something that happened to her kid. And she did her best always to protect me from situations like that. So yeah, I think that was, I think it was really hard on her and she kind of kicked herself for it a lot longer than I did. This is exactly how I felt with my parents where even when I'm like seemingly okay and acting happy and trying to not be affected by these things, they still feel so much, you know, guilt and blame and all of these uh, emotions that any parent or, or, or not any parent, but a lot of parents feel associated with these experiences. There's the people that were directly affected by the experiences, like the person who was molested. And then there's all of the people that were tangentially affected that like have their own set of emotional responses to these situations that are, you know, in many ways as complex as what we went through. Absolutely. I feel like at that young, I didn't, I didn't, I mean, because I don't even remember it. I was so, I mean, two and a half is, that's pretty young. So yeah, like I didn't have to go through it too much. Like I didn't have to go through it with that, but like that definitely is very applicable with the other assaults that like I remember and yeah. even the difference in how you remember different assaults. So when I was five, I was assaulted by my mom's husband at the time. Their marriage didn't last very long. And that's something that I actually only recently uncovered in my life. <laughs> um, so I like details on that are very minimal because I remember it as like a picture. I don't remember it as like a memory that I do of my high school assaults. It, I remember it as like a frame. Interesting. Like, you know, I don't know. It's very interesting. And I think that was kind of hard. Cause I was like, am I, am I making this up? Is this actually something that happened to me or am I like pretending this happened to me I don't know there's this like weird processing of like what was this memory that kind of came to the surface and I had to work through it um with my therapist and she's like I've been doing this for like 30 years you're not making this up that's how you remember things especially when it's that far like far in the past mm -hmm. I always felt that something happened I had this like physiological anxiety and like pressure within my body when I would think about that person and when I would think about his time at our house but I never knew what it meant I told my mom at the time that he would squeeze me until I couldn't breathe and that he told that all I can remember is the more you the more you cry the more it'll hurt that's all I remember from that. And so up until recent. And so I actually, when you emailed me for this podcast, I was sitting next to her in Colorado. I'm not in Colorado anymore. anymore. I'm in North Carolina. And so I just happened to be sitting there and I hadn't talked to my mom about this. I had processed through it with my therapist, my husband, and then my best friend who also happened to be sitting right there wow. when you emailed me. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to talk about it on the podcast, but I feel like I should probably talk to her about it. And so I did. I was like, 
I need to tell you something. And my best friend is sitting right there. She's like, should I leave? And I was like, sit down, you have to stay. <laughs> like you're my grounding point. You already know the story. So like, you know, I know that you're like, you're not going to have the reaction. And I told her and she um, reacted very loving. And she was just, you know, she said, I'm sorry that happened. I'm sorry. I allowed somebody that would do something like that into our house. And I'm grateful that it was only there for like, he was only in the house for three months. So I think that was like a good amount of time, like anything longer, anything else could have happened. So I think that was kind of crazy to uncover recently, like within the last four months. I mean, that's such wild timing too, to receive that email while you're (laughs) mom and your friend. That's incredible. It's so, it's such an odd thing. And I'm curious Maybe we do it because if we were making it up, then, oh, it, then great. I don't have to deal with this shit. I, I can just like, <laughs> then that, then nothing happened. Like, what an amazing right, out. Do the healing of it. Awesome. Done. I'll yeah. sign up for that. Like- <laughs> yeah, I wish I was making it up, you know? Like, of course. <laughs> and then the other thing that you said, the, the bits and pieces that you remember, when you said the thing about um, the less you cry, the less it will hurt. Is that the, what it was? The more, yeah, the more you cry, the more it'll hurt. It's so interesting how we, we pick up on these phrases and images, whether it's like a painting of what happened or whatever, that like it just sticks with. Obviously, that's like a very significant thing because it's an insane thing to tell a child. But I mean, we're kids. We believe everything that adults tell us in those moments. So maybe that was also like a legitimate thing where your brain's like, OK, maybe I will do this because that will make this. You know, you just you don't even question like <laughs> what's happening, really. You're just like, OK, fucking I'll try to cry less, I guess. Oh, OK, that's fine. I'll just take that into adulthood. The more I cry, the more it'll hurt. OK, I'll just won't cry ever then. And I did like, I, I, over these experiences, you don't talk, like if you don't talk about them, if you don't allow yourself to have emotion, it builds. Right. I mean, that's trauma. Right. And, and that even just like suppressing that, whatever that is, like my mom was like, well, what happened? Like, tell, you know, tell me about it. And I'm like, that's, I can't, like, I can tell you that something happened. I can tell you, I remember laying in my bunk bed and there's a dark figure to the side and I, physiologically am having a reaction to this moment of somebody having their hand over the side. That's all I remember, mm-hmm. but it's the physio it's how my body feels. It's had the physiological reaction to even thinking of this story that tells me something else is wrong. And then to add in, I was um, struggling with peeing the bed. Mm-hmm. And then I was struggling with, I, I, uh, because of that, I um, tried to use tampons when I was really young, like around like probably six or seven, I was very interested in Tampa. What, like not, not because of like watching my mom use them or anything like that, like for sexual reasons, why at that age would I even be thinking of that if it wasn't something that I was dealing with? And that's kind of these little puzzle pieces that we put together in therapy. And I told my therapist, she's like, children that young aren't thinking about it. Not, not, 20 years ago, you know, we don't, yeah. it's not the experience of 20 years ago versus now the sexualization is just not the same in media. It's these little puzzle pieces I put together. I'm like, something happened. I know it did. And then all of a sudden it came to me at night. I'm like falling asleep. And I was like, it happened. Like, I remember something really like this validation in my brain for sure. And then processing through it. Um, so those are like two experiences that I had when I was young 
um, which then takes us to the first attack when I was a teenager. And um, to kind of set the stage, I didn't really talk about this story a lot with too many people because I think there was a really fuzzy line of consent of what consent was when we were teenagers. I think we talk more about consent now and what that actually means. I didn't know that you can withdraw your consent at any point. Mm -hmm. I thought if it was a yes, it was a yes. If it was a no, it was a no, right? Like that was, it was very black and white. And then along with that um, comes like being intoxicated. So when I was, Mm, it was so it was 2010 I was 15 I had a boyfriend that I told I did not want to have a sexual relationship because I had had sex previously with a couple partners and I didn't like how it made me feel and so I decided that I was going to remain celibate and that I wanted to um, honor myself by having a purity ring and so me and my best friend went and purchased purity rings we had this moment together that we're like, we're not going to do this. We're going to protect ourselves. Like, this is really important to us. And I told him that, and I said, I don't want to have a sexual relationship. I want to make sure that the next person that I have sex with, I'm in, I'm in love with them. During this, he was very pushy with sex, like he, or like doing sexual stuff. Um, I just wasn't in a place where I wanted to do that. And so that kind of comes to a night where we were, um, at my friend's house and my best friend's house. And we were hanging out and the boys were like, Hey, we want to come over and hang out. And they brought alcohol. He didn't drink. I did, but I didn't want to drink because I didn't want to put myself in a situation of getting sick or, um, getting in trouble or whatever. I just wasn't drinking at 15. Like that just wasn't something that I was interested in. And he was very pushy about it. And so he kept giving me drinks and I was like a 90 pound girl. I may not have actually drank a lot in regards to like being an adult and drinking, right? Like a drink then or two drinks then was a lot for me. And so I don't, I didn't have control of my body at that point because it was too much for me. Um, And then comes to the point of we we're laying in bed and he goes to have sex with me. And I remember saying, ow, it hurts. And he said, don't think about it. And so I didn't, I put myself in a music video, the Eeny Meeny song by Justin Bieber's and (laughs) I imagined that during my attack, which is so funny because I'm like, really that like why that one I don't know so I could for the longest time I couldn't listen to the song so I'm like trauma get out of here of course Um, so wow I was part of the music video and then all of a sudden there was a big sound like my my friend fell in the other room or something something happened something fell and it was like a loud noise and I kind of came to and was like oh my god I can't do this and I like shoved him off of me and like immediately put my clothes on And I pretended to be fine for the remainder of the night. And then the next day when he left, that's when I started processing that this isn't something that I wanted to do. You knew this. I was not in my right mind and you still pushed that envelope. And so I was angry 
And so for a while, for like a couple of days, I was just so mad and I ended up breaking up with him and he showed up at my birthday party, like four days later. And we had my birthday party in like the green belt next to our house. And it was just like me and my friends. My mom was at home four four houses down. Um, What's a green just, belt? Uh, green belt, like, so like a big, um, so basically behind all of our houses, there's like a huge, I guess park is what you would call it, but it's like, it's, uh, they call it a green belt. Cause it's like, I don't know, just like a big field. I don't know. For sure. No, it wasn't true. No. I don't get it. That makes sense. No, I gotcha. <laughs> all my friends are there and whatnot. And he showed up to this party and I ended up having like a quick conversation with him, took my purity ring off. And I said, you might as well keep this since you took everything else from me. That's pretty badass. I was so mad. Like I was just in a place where I wanted to do better for myself. I wanted to make sure that I protected myself and my sanity. And you knew that and you took it away. Yeah. And he's like, well, you didn't even drink that much. It was your idea. It was all these things that he fed into me. And I was like, that's just not true. But I couldn't talk to anybody about it because when I did try and tell people, like I told a person in my life that it happened that person responded with, well, maybe you shouldn't drink so much. I told another person and they said, well, because it wasn't violent, it's not rape. The person that said, maybe you shouldn't drink so much was an adult, was somebody close to me. <laughs> I adding like the factor in is like, I was underage. I was drinking. I was at a friend's house who there weren't parents there. I, like that fear of like, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I didn't tell anybody else. Yeah. And so I do remember him removing the condom. And so then there was this terror of I could be pregnant mm -hmm. and not having anybody I could talk to. And then this guy continue, like continuously terrified me throughout my life. So he would send me pictures of him wearing the ring on a necklace and oh, say, look, I'm Gollum. Oh, I was like, are you shitting me? Are you for real? He egged my house. He randomly showed up to my birthday party. He, they ended up starting a fight at my birthday party with my friends, like a fist fight. He showed up to the uh, movie theater where my mom was like my whole family was my mom ended up backing him into a corner. She didn't tell me she knew about my assault. I don't think she knew hundred percent at that point, but she did know that he started a fight at my birthday party. She backed him up into a corner and said, if you ever touch my daughter again, you'll be in big trouble. And I was like, I remember at that moment, I was like, mom doesn't even know everything. And she's ready to go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I said, like, she's like, my mom's like a big, tall person. And so she like backed him, like walked him up into like, he was up against the wall at the, um, the theater and he ended up leaving. But he would do these things and then he would, he would send me messages. He would talk to my friends. He would, um, I, I moved to Minnesota at one point and I came back and he showed up to where me and my boyfriend was and he would, and then he like would send me messages later. Like this didn't happen. Like you're lying, break up with him, be with me, like all throughout my high school life. Wow. Well, this so is what people do is that they, they, he's trying to normalize what happened. He's trying to make it seem like everything that happened was okay. And 
if everything that happened was okay, then he would be showing up to these places and, and, and doing everything like as if nothing went wrong. It's the same thing that would happen with the guy who molested me where, you know, we went to court and all of this stuff and didn't get convicted. And then he's just like showing up to the soccer games, like as if everything's fine. And it's like, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, fight their own battle with the perceptions of the world where they're trying to be like, look at, look, see, I'm here. Everything's okay. Nothing happened. It's such a classic abuser move. And and then there's also the element that you're talking about, which is like wanting to get back together with you. I mean, talk about like finding a way to normalize what happened. Like if, if, if we get back together, then that voids him in his head of anything that could have gone wrong probably, or did go wrong. They're just trying to insert themselves back. Um, It's so bad. I, I like, it was, terrifying to go any place because okay so I don't I didn't live in a small town I was in Colorado like Denver metro area is not a small town but it sure shit felt like a small town because I swear to god I ran into him everywhere I'm at Buffalo Wild Wings what are you doing here like you live in a completely different city why are you in this city and so it was crazy so moving out of that was a really bad year like that 2010 was a really bad year so prior to this instance with this greg guy yeah um part of what made me get to the point where i was like i don't want to have sexual relations with people was partly because right before about a month probably a month or two prior i was hanging out with an older boy that i really he was so attractive to me i'm like oh my god he's so cute his friend was my my best my other best friend's boyfriend so we all went up to Lookout Mountain. We went up to the mountains in Colorado, got stoned on the side of the mountain mm-hmm. in realism. As like a parent, now I'm like, I would be so angry with my kid doing this. It was at like sunset too. Okay. So we're like stoned coming down from the mountain. Like it's not, I mean, when I say mountain, it's like a trail. It's like a quick trail, but still like we're, we were sitting on the side of a mountain where you're like not supposed to be sitting stoned trying sure. to get down from there when it's like dusk walking back to the car and so we get in the car and I was again was not somebody that like smoked so it was like it was a I was stoned out of my mind oh yeah it was bad (laughs) I was like (laughs) sitting in the chair couldn't move and my best friend's in the back seat she's going through like the stages of when you're high for the first time you're like my parents are gonna find out and then you're like no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. Everything's fine. And then she's like, why don't you love me? Like, so she's like having all these emotions and I'm like sitting there in my own seat, just ha- like just stoned to the chair. Yeah. And the kid goes, you just need to calm down and be as chill as Brooke. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so chill. <laughs> Crazy. Don't Boy, cry. Man. It'll yeah. hurt less. <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm so yeah. cool. It's fine. Everything's fine. Fine. <laughs> Just don't that. think about it. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the really? mantras of my life that have come from my drama. <laughs> 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 oh, man. And all that, I'm like thinking of those mantras as I go through my life. I'm like, the more you cry, the more it'll hurt. Don't cry. You're fine. Suck it up. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, too, because it, like, is the exact opposite of what to do to heal. And it's crazy, too, when you start crying. I mean, I've just been back in therapy for the last two, two and a half months for the first time ever, really. I mean, I tried a couple of times, but it just never, never worked. And, 
I mean, I am just an emotional wreck would be the word, but like really it's like I'm so it feels so good to ha- go into an hour long therapy session and be crying for 40 minutes. It's so healing and you feel so light, but also it's like I'm so much more open to crying now where something will come up and it's not I don't even necessarily have to know where it's coming from. And you're just like open to the feeling of it. And then you allow yourself to experience it. And then it passes through you. And you're like, this is what I've been avoiding. This is why I've been torturing myself and my body and suppressing these emotions for so long is to avoid this. And whether it's from, you know, somebody who molested you saying don't cry or just society saying don't cry. Like everyone has experienced some form of emotional suppression. And when you start to really experience the opposite of that it's a empowering feeling and also just like makes you really uh sort of wish that you'd figure this out sooner you know i think because you have to process things in your mind but your body also has to process and crying i saw a video it was like you came into this world crying when you were a baby (laughs) what was your first instinct when you when you needed help as an infant what was your first what, how, how are you able to signify that you needed help? You cried. So I think that's kind of cool. Like we cry because one, it's our body releasing trauma just as much as our mind is. Mm-hmm. And I think also that's why like walking through, like walking when you talk about like hard things is so essential because you're working your mind and your body because your body has to be able to release it. Right. Um, and then uh, two, crying is, is telling people I need help. And so I think we have this like messed up version of crying, like, oh, you're weak. You can't handle things if you're crying. You're so sensitive. Yeah. Man, I'm just trying to work through some shit. Like, you guys. (laughs) I'm leveling up, bitch. I'm I'm working. This is, I'm growing right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it's fascinating. Oh, man. Uh, So you were in the car. We were in the car. We get back to her boyfriend's house, still super stoned. The stonedness happened, stayed for a very long time that day. I remember us watching a movie in her boyfriend's bedroom. And then I have no idea how I came down the stairs. I woke up, I came to rather, and this guy was having sex with me off the side of the couch. Mm. And it was that kind of same moment where you like come to and you're like, I don't want to be here. And I remember saying, I need to go to the bathroom. And I like shoved him off and I got up and I went to the bathroom and I came back and he was like putting his pants on. He's like, it's time for you to go. And so what? he drove me and my best friend home. And I re I, again, in this last year, I kind of processed through what consent really is and, and processed my ex- sexual experiences. And I kind of realized in this moment that was not consensual. And I went to bring it up to my best friend who was there. I said, I need to ask you something because I just need you to kind of like validate this processing. Remember Ryan? And she was like, when he raped you? And I was like, okay, so yeah, um, exactly that. And she goes, I remember being so joyful about how fun of an evening I had even though she like, you know, super stone and like going through her own like stone emotions. She had so much fun. She's like, I remember being like very euphoric about how fun, how much fun that was for me. And then to know that happened to you, I, I felt so guilty. 
because I was there and that was happening to you. And it made me really sad because I was like, well, first off, thank you for acknowledging like that this happened to me because that validation makes me feel like I'm less crazy that this yeah. happened. Having a friend that's able to validate you and also to process their own emotions throughout that too was kind of uh, super nice to have. Because she said it that bluntly. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to talk to you. Okay, yeah, that, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. So this this part of my journey of life happened right before Greg happened, like within yeah. 90 days. So that last sexual experience was like, I apparently was able to say and communicate to her at that point, like this guy raped me. It wasn't consensual. It's not what I wanted. Um, but then I kind of, I think, let go of that. It wasn't consensual piece as I kind of moved on through my life. Because then when Greg came in, I voiced where I was at with my self and then to have it taken away that sexual experience kind of like was it was it's the one that messed me up the most because I knew that I it wasn't something that I wanted and then to have it taken away from me and then for everyone that I spoke to about it not everyone most people that I spoke to about it blamed me then even though I thought I had walked into this relationship communicating I am not in this place well, but that had. was not enough Right. That was not me saying no enough. Yeah. And and you said you thought you had communicated that. You had communicated that. Yeah. There's, it's just a disregard for your communication. And yeah. there's such a uh, theme between all of these experiences and the people and the perpetrators of all of them, whether it's this guy saying that you need to leave Ryan Greg saying uh, you're showing up at all of your things after and then the more you cry the worse it is these are all like abuser talk like people who care about you don't operate this way it's so obvious in retrospect but in the moment when you're just trying to get clarity and figure out did these things even happen are my feelings valid all of these especially at that age when it's like your social appearance and status and all of these things matter so much and you want to not make people mad you don't want to piss off the school and everyone knows everything so you know that everything that you talk about probably will be found out by more and more people you know just as we were saying at the beginning like we don't want to be known as the people right. that, the kids who got raped or abused or whatever right. so you're sort of it feels like you're trapped at the time and then you know when you do start speaking up and you have people that validate you in the way that your friend did where she was just blunt about it and was like this is clearly what happened to you you begin to piece all of this stuff together you give yourself like permission to look at it and embrace it and see it for what it is and then that's where the real healing begins because you're not afraid to look at it and you're not afraid to talk about it out of fear of how people will respond how people will be affected and then you start beginning to cultivate a trust in your own truth and like your own feelings i mean this is how i felt for so and i'm still just now like really getting into in therapy where it's like Okay, I think especially with the trial, you know, I had my truth just like ruthlessly questioned over and over again, where everything that I said was picked apart by a professional uh, child uh, poker holer in story. <laughs> this guy's like his whole existence is around trying to confuse kids. And so I think that f even now I have this resistance to 
telling my truth because the first time that I did it, it was like accompanied by all of these really negative emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's like for all whatever we've been through, it's like now realizing that our truth is our protector. It's what keeps us safe. And as hard as it may be, and I mean, I let my molestation go on for two years before saying something. And so there was this whole guilt associated with that and all of the hypothetical reactions that people would have to the length of time that it went on for and all of these things that... Um, you know, we're so afraid to look at in the moment. And then as we get to these levels where our psyche begins to feel like, okay, maybe I can start looking at this, you begin to realize like, how helpless we were, and how, even if we never said anything about the experience, that would be so reasonable. And there's no way that we need to have behaved in these moments that, you know, I, I wish I'd said something right away. I wish it never happened, of course. But you know, we can't change the past, but we can heal from it and become better versions of ourselves than we ever would have been had we not had these experiences, if we choose to view it that way. So it's all a matter of perception. And I don't know what the fuck is going on with Zoom, but now it's giving me this 40 minute limit sign again, even though there's, there's three minutes left. <laughs> okay, um, so I'll send you another. <laughs> totally fine. Oh, I'm God. so, this is totally great. Time. Okay, yeah, you're absolutely killing it. Awesome. Um, here we go. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. This is so good. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. This is great. Honestly, this has been, yeah, this is, I will say this is probably one of the first times I've told my story in totality. Like this is cool, honestly, for myself, because I find, especially when using like tools like social media, um, I really focus on like vulnerability is key, right? Your vulnerability yeah. is going to help somebody somewhere. Um, it kind of started with talking about my own fertility journey. This is like something totally separate, but like my fertility journey on Instagram is kind of how I started a community of people that either didn't know about it are going through it or have been through it. Um, and then people that I eventually invited people that knew me from like high school or whatever, I'd like posted on Facebook was like, Hey, I have this. Cause I kind of kept it locked down for a while. And I realized that being vulnerable, if you are able to put yourself out there in a way that you're serving yourself in a good way, um, other people are going to pick up on that. Right. And it's going to help teach, you know, educate people and also give them space to talk about their stories. And so, yeah, it's kind of nice to be able to even just kind of talk through my own story. I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah, totally. <laughs> that did happen. That was really messed up. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It is great. such a, that's so good to hear. You're right. It's like this vulnerability also is not restricted to just being helpful to people that have been through what you've been through. It's mm -hmm. like you inspire so many people with vulnerability to talk about whatever it is that they've been through. And Many times, you know, the impact that you're having goes way beyond the people that have told you that they were impacted by you. Yeah. You know, we, we, we rarely take into account all of the people that have been influenced by us positively that never said anything or felt like they couldn't speak up yet or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's such a great thing that, that you're doing. And I would never have known that you that this was your one of your first times talking about it in totality. Oh, <laughs> so we were at Greg. So. Greg was the one that I ran into at the Christmas party. And so to be in this room, sharing this room with this human, with my husband, with my child was 
insane. Like to think back to it now, I'm like, man, girl, you kept your cool for sure. Because at this very moment in my life, I have this like completely lit fire under me this very moment. I'm like, I don't know if I would have been as, as graceful, but also at the time I, like, I, I served my purpose in that moment to myself, right? Like I was able to be in that room and have the strength to exist and not fall to pieces in front of this human. I was able to hold my power and say, without words, be able to say, you didn't take everything. Look at what I have with my life, even though you took everything from me in that time in my life, because you took my safety, my trust away from people. It threw me into a very dark place in my life. I tried to commit suicide multiple times that year Mm -hmm. to the point that my mom moved me to Minnesota by the end of the year because I was just done. How did you recover from that? And when did you come back? So I, I think change of scenery was really good. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to end my life. I wanted to stop pain, you know, like that's kind of the point that I was at with my mental health at that point. I just wanted to not feel the way I was feeling. And so I thought the only way out of that feeling was by suicide, um, removing myself from the situation, going to a different state where I knew nobody. I didn't know a single person besides the people I was living with and very barely did I know them. Um, they were a bit of family that was, that was, I had to look in and learn a lot more about myself. I, I was only there for about a year. I came home. And then right after I came home, um, my husband and I started talking again and then we started dating like right as I got back. So we've been together ever since. So it's just, it's yeah. But now I'm able to kind of take a step back and congratulate myself on being able to stand in that room with him and also to be able to look directly at my husband and at my child and be so thankful that I survived and that I have grown this beautiful life. Yeah. Despite him. So it's so powerful. Our initial reaction, which makes total sense and is so, again, reasonable, is like anger oftentimes. And it feels like I want to make you feel how I felt. I want to make you understand how bad it was, what you did. We want to sometimes inflict the same feelings on the person that, that caused us to have those feelings, which makes total sense. But I think that the really the most powerful thing you can do is like thrive in their face. This is a thing that this, um, this, uh, speaker that I listened to called, do you know, Abraham Hicks? I don't. She's, uh, just a, uh, positivity thinker. One of the quotes is thrive in their face, like show the people that have caused you harm or done wrong to you, like do the best you've ever done it despite all of that show them that they don't have this power over you reacting negatively or fighting him or doing things to try to make him understand how bad he was what he did you know it shows that he still has this hold over you this i guess you could call it power there's some sort of a pull you're still affected the most powerful thing is to show that you are not where you used to be. You're not the person that you were when they took advantage of you. And it's like peace is power in that regard. And it's just like. Thrive in their face. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Because you're right. I mean, really, even as like simple as uh, we were picking up trash and I had the trash bag. 
And he, like, he stood on the other side of the room the majority of the time. And I, and I photographed his kids and everything, like his kids were there and I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take it out on them by not photographing them with Santa. Like it just, (laughs) I don't have the ability to do like, that's just, that's not my purpose. It's not their doing. Right. So I, I still photograph them and send out like the gallery to um, the list of parents and whatnot, but I had this trash bag and we were picking up trash and he would, he like, like reached his arm and body to even like get it into the bag he wouldn't even get close to me and it was kind of like this moment of like you know I don't have to say anything I don't have to do anything to make you realize that yes you know what you did type thing and it was kind of like a validation of like yeah I don't know and then I walked out and I was like oh man I need to deal with that that's for sure yeah but that's so significant. You you created like an energetic uh, barrier of peace. You are unaffected by this guy's presence. It's you're not unaffected, but aff- not affected in the way that you would have been in the past. Yes. And it's also like, what's the alternative? Like you're going to say to his kid, hey, your dad raped me. Like there's no version right. of like the things that we actually would do that seemingly would be like, I'll show you now, you know, and I'll get even. It would be more detrimental, I think, to you and your family in that moment to do that kind of stuff in t- instead of taking this like incredible high road that maintains the well-being of the people that you love and care about instead of reacting based on something that's happened in the past and then therefore saying i still have all of these things that i all this anger and stuff that even though it's directed at a person you are feeling those feelings and inevitably those feelings will bleed out into your existence and affect the people that you don't want to have affected by these things So it's just best case scenario, everything that, that you did. And, uh, and I, and even though it may feel like, oh, he doesn't understand, he doesn't, I should have done more or whatever. I think that it's probably the most impactful thing that you could have done to that person is show them that they don't have power over you anymore. Right. So right. I think, I think reacting in any way more or like reacting in a way that didn't align with who I am wouldn't have made me feel good and being able to mean even though he was there to show him I'm not leaving because you're existing like you're existing in the same space I'm able to be here I'm able to enjoy this moment and also photograph your children without anger and taking it out on them or on you or making a scene or anything like that I don't know. That's, that's it, huge. It's very cool. It's cool to see. And now even just like to take that step back and see it in this place of healing that I am now, because that was such a monumental moment of my life that then created this downfall, not downfall, I guess. I mean, I guess you would consider it a downfall, but this, uh, it was like the trigger point to going through a hell in 2021, because that made me get to this place of like, I was, I was having legitimate PTSD, like to the point that I was having horrible anxiety attacks. I couldn't deal with myself. I um, had really long hair, really long blonde hair. I cut it to my shoulders, probably about where my hair is now. And I was like, that's just not it. Like everything feels wrong still. And that's when I shaved my head. Mama's going to cut her hair off and Dada's not even going to know. Are you ready, Echo? Thank <sighs> you.
I've always wanted to do this, just like cut my hair. Like in the movies when they like go through a really bad depression, they're like, I'm just gonna chop my hair off. I'm like, oh, that sounds so great. <gasps> Who did this? Oh my God, you guys. Let's do it. And I find out later that when you shave your head or when you cut your hair, you change your appearance in some way. It's to, you know, it's to gain control um, of something in your life. And also when you cut your hair, you shave your head, whatever, you're releasing energy, you're releasing memories because um, there are people that believe that your hair holds memories. And so it's kind of cool because when I shaved my head, I was able to even rationalize that in the moment that I am shaving off the memories that my hair could possibly be holding. I don't, I don't know each strand. I can't like check in, like, see, like, what yeah. do you remember? What do you, you know, so like <laughs> shaving it all off is like setting the, the, like hitting the reset button for me. And it was when I shaved my head. And when people are, when people are like, you shaved your head, you all right. At first I was kind of offended because I'm like, just because you shave your head doesn't mean that you're, you know, like having a mental breakdown. Well, then yeah. I did. I did have one, <laughs> um, which is fine. But I also love that, like, let's normalize if you're if you, like shaving your head, cutting your hair, changing your appearance to gain control of something. That's okay. M mental breakdowns are okay because a lot of times what that person needs is for you to be there instead of giving them crap for shaving their head and having a mental breakdown. Are you, you all right? You having a mental breakdown? You yeah. doing okay? Like it was just, it, cause it wasn't in a place of like kindness. It was in a place of like judgment. Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Britney Spears. I'm like, yeah, the girl was going through a lot. Okay. Yeah. She had to get some freaking control. I get it. Normalize mental breakdowns. I mean, it really is like uh, what we were talking about earlier, where you went through this experience that showed you how much growth you had done. And that in many ways was like the green light to your psyche to be like, all right, fucking here we go. You can handle this stuff now, even though it may present itself, this processing in the form of a mental breakdown you are ready to experience that. You know, this mental breakdown was going to happen at some point. What a shift in experience to be like, oh, okay, I can cry. I mean, what even is a mental break? Like, it's just experiencing intense emotion, like overwhelm of emotion. Like, great, bring it on. I'm down, <laughs> you know? And then even just that is a totally different experience with a mental break, a mental breakdown where you're like more, come on. What do I need yeah. to feel? Let's just run me over with the train. Why don't you let's go? Like yeah, <laughs> the emotional train. It's like that makes it so much easier to go through when you're embracing of the experience instead of resisting it. It's okay to not be okay. I mean, you're on the process to becoming okay by feeling these feelings. So you don't need to resist them or, or feel guilty about feeling them. Awesome. Um, so I think there was like another added layer to then the head shaving because I posted it on TikTok and it got to like, I think it's at like 14 million, 13, 14 million people. And so at first I was like, oh my, like the next day I woke up and I was like, wow, it's like a really vulnerable moment. And in that moment, what I was seeing was I was, I was vulnerable in the state of like, I went from a traditional style of 
hair for a female. So then like shaving my head and like, that is, that's a lot like the vulnerability. I don't know. People are like, why did you shave your head? And I was like, it was, it just was time. Like, that's where I was. But I think I, I like the label I put on it at the time was like, well, I, it was time. And I wanted to also make sure that I like loved myself no matter what I physically looked like, but it was a way to gain control. And so when I realized so many people saw me in this vulnerable moment. And as I started to go through my healing journey, my mental breakdown, my spiritual awakening, whatever you want to call it, um, the vulnerability hangover became deeper. Mm. So the first day I'm like, wow, everyone saw me shave my head. That's crazy. And then as the days went on, I was like, everyone saw me shave my head and it did end up in me wanting to kill myself. Right. Like, like the story, like the, the further I went into my healing journey, the harder, the harder it became for myself to be able to look at that video and be proud that so many people saw that. Mm. Right. Now I'm proud because I'm like, I'm glad that you shared that moment with so many people. But last year I couldn't watch it. I couldn't watch it because it was the physical start to a very dark place for me of processing all of this sexual history it really came down to the sexual history. It really came down to that moment that I saw Greg mm-hmm. at the Christmas party. These things that I thought I had processed through that place was the start of healing and understanding and leveling up. Yep. Very strong level up. Shit. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but it really was, it was everything all at once. It was that, it was that emotional trauma train that just plowed right on through. <laughs> Yeah. What was that process like for you between posting that video and then getting to the spot where you're at now? It was last year was rough. Um, I started dealing with a lot of uh, anxiety. So after I ran into him, I added more medication, more anxiety medication. And so I kept having to add more and more because I was having anxiety attacks all the time. Every day waking up was really hard being a present parent was really hard being a present human, just in general, loving myself, anything like all of the happiness was really hard every single day. And it became worse and worse and worse. And so as the year went on, um, we knew we were moving to North Carolina. So we were in Colorado last year up until October. So just periodically throughout the year, the wounds kept deepening, I guess you could say. Um, I ended up finally actually going to the ER and being like, I need help Mm -hmm. because I'm not, I don't feel safe anymore. Um, I did not divulge that I was like actively wanting to commit suicide. Um, so they did not put me on a hold, but they fast tracked me to a psychiatrist who was then able to help diagnose me with, I (laughs) undiagnosed ADHD my entire life Mm -hmm. when, (laughs) um, But even just like having that validation that like the anxiety is real. You also have a little other stuff going on as well. So they started treating those things with medication, which helped. Um, and then we moved in October and I kind of felt as we got closer to, to the moving date that I, my mental health was deteriorating. I was like, I can't of working. I was like, I can't wait to move because I can fall apart. And I don't have to do anything like work-wise mm-hmm. or like show up for anything. I'm allowed to like fall apart. And it got dark very quickly, very quickly. We moved here and it was like somebody turned all of the lights off. That's 
it, it was very scary. Actually, like there were times that I wanted to drive myself to the ER, but I went and sat in my car in the parking lot instead. Um, and then I'd come home and I would just tell my husband, like, I can't, I can't do anything. I can't parent. So I wasn't even a parent for like four months. Mm. And throughout all of this, I didn't really know, again, I was, you're, when you're in it, you, you can't really take that step back and be like, where did this all come from? Yeah, You know? And so I started therapy, um, I want to say in December and that's kind of when we were able to start walking through it. Even just like talk, having, paying somebody to sit for an hour and all their job is to do is listen to you. You're like, okay. Like, I don't feel guilty about like stealing your time for an hour, you know, yeah. all you got to do is sit here and listen to me talk and whatever about whatever. And that just gave me the ability to even just um, be a little more like introspective and be like, what's going on? How are you feeling? And then that's kind of when like the trauma of my sexual history started popping up was kind of like immediate. Um, You're so, so right about that. It's having somebody that, that you can share all of these experiences with and help you uncover new experiences that you haven't remembered without like the ramifications uh, of telling people in your personal life, there's a lot of freedom in that in a way it's kind of like doing stand-up at an open mic where you don't know anybody where mm. you can just say whatever it's like it's very hard to speak up about these things or really talk about them authentically how you really feel about them when you know that the people that you're talking to may be personally affected whether it's because they know the people that you're referring to or they know you and care about you you know when you have a therapist it's like oh i can you're <laughs> i'm paying you and you this is what you do professionally so like a lot of the guilt normally associated with talking about these things is relieved um which is really really uh helpful yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's been it's been a freaking trip i'm like i'm just grateful that i'm kind of on like the other side of the big hump for now and even my therapist has said being a parent is like adding another level to uh your healing journey because it's not over she said the chances of you really struggling around the ages that you were attacked when your child is around those ages is high Mm -hmm. um and I was like, damn it. I really thought I was like, <laughs> done with this shit again. I'm like, oh, great. Thanks for that knowledge. But also it's good to have that in my back pocket, knowing that there may be challenges within my soul, within myself, when my child gets to certain ages. Like right now she's three and a half. Like we're doing okay. We're yeah. not a year and a half and I have to maybe deal with some other shit. But like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, hey, okay, well. Yeah, you got a um, brief, you got a checkpoint right now between two and a half and five. Go ahead and breathe for a year and a half. You'll be good. And then <laughs> we're back on this shit again. But it's also, it's good to know that like, those are possibilities. And we talk about trauma so much differently now than we did before. Um, and even just experiences of like, our generation versus other generations talking about these things. Like how often do we sit down with somebody over the age of 50, 60 about this kind of stuff in detail, right? Like you've had some amazing people on here that are of that generation of that age that are willing to talk about it, but not a lot of them are because they were kind of shushed and like kind of still, are in certain ways and i think our generation is really working hard on like normalizing everything yeah normalizing talking about this stuff so that we can aid in each other's journeys 
totally. It's such a new thing for for everyone. And it's been this shushed thing forever. What you said there about like, you know, the emotional availability and depth that you have now as a result of the experiences that you've gone through is like invaluable as a parent, I'm sure. And what you're able to provide your daughter with now is like an open line of communication where you can explain to her, you know, the things that you maybe wish you had known or wish you had felt when you were going through these experiences. You can provide her with everything that people need to know. I think when you go through these things, you just have such a different understanding of the thought processes that people may be having that just allow you to connect. And even if nothing ever happens, you, this emotional depth, its applications aren't limited to just abuse. It's like you can help in so many ways that would prevent these things from happening. Maybe the reason that nothing ever happens to your daughter is because of all the emotional healing that you've done. It's something that you can be proud of and, and excited to bring up whenever the time is right to do that. Um, how have these experiences affected your parenting? I would say in regards to parenting, I don't know if I've, I think I'm a little more weary just around like adult males being a female. Like if there are people that take a little extra interest in her, I'm like, what are you doing? You know, yeah. you just kind of like you're, I'm a little more intuitive with who we surround her with, especially as we create our new community out here in North Carolina, I want to be protective, but not to the point where I'm sheltering her vulnerability, honesty, open lines of communication is what I want to bring into being a parent period, right? With sex, especially um, with drugs and alcohol, everything. I think the more you talk with your child, they'll be more able to go into situations with a complex decision-making versus well, I'm told not to have sex. I'm going to do it anyway. Like yeah. you're not giving me the tools to walk through this. And so I think with what I've learned, even just in the last year um, and really talking with my husband about just parenting, the more we talk to her about this stuff as she gets to, you know, proper ages, it's going to help her and us as parents in the long run. We also don't use like cutesy names for body parts. We say vagina, we say penis. Um, that's something that is really essential in our life. I'm not, we're not doing pee pee. We're not doing ding dong. Like maybe goofily we'll like mention it, but it's very much vagina and penis are going to be and are the main anatomy verbiage. So that is really good to do. And it allows you to have this seriousness associated with it. That I think is often a tool that people that abusers use to get around these the seriousness of it is to use these code names or when you make it normal to say those things it makes it less awkward to say them as a kid if this is how you speak you can be more matter of fact about it instead of feeling like i don't really know how to articulate this it's a weird it's a body part that has stigma associated with it. And I've only ever referred to as PP or ding dong because I, it makes me feel weird and, and uncomfy. And like, it's a great tool to provide kids with is just like, Hey, this is what it is. And if anyone ever touches your penis or vagina, tell me it's not a game. I mean, that's how it's so often presented. And I think that a game and 
silly language are they're, they're so synonymous and it makes it easier for people to get around these things i think as abusers so what a great great thing to do um yeah. that's amazing that are you kidding me another limit this is crazy <laughs> <laughs> don't understand okay well i know i don't want to take up too much of your time here because oh i'm you're fine I, okay, I like okay. set aside a whole day for this because i was like just in case you have like <laughs> okay. a vulnerability hangover we just need a totally you know, i i honestly do the same thing where i'm like i'll probably take like an hour or two hour nap after this where i just, <laughs> you know because it is it is such a it's so freeing and such a good feeling to talk about these things, but it also is very emotionally taxing. And it's like so, working out. It's I explained it to my husband this morning. I'm like, I'm basically getting ready for a marathon. And even though I'm willing and I'm ready to have these conversations and I'm ready to be vulnerable because I know I know the benefit behind being vulnerable, but it's still like a marathon, right? You still have to kind of like, you have to train with vulnerability and then sitting down and having a conversation like this is literally running a marathon. So you're so exhausted afterwards. Yeah. And even on the other end, being as like receiving as you are, you're, you're sharing my emotions with your own experiences too. So of course it's exhausting. Totally. You just ran a marathon too. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I'm happy to be running with you again. It's a perception thing where now I'm like, Okay, if anything comes up, it's like, ah, oh, great, you know, an opportunity. I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll take a nap, like, good, like, I'll let's let's heal. It's just listening to your body. Listen to your body. It's it knows um, so much more than we give it credit for. What has your relationship been like with your husband, who you know has clearly been like super supportive throughout all of this, but also having known you since eighth grade? What has that been like? It's been going back to like talking to him about this kind of stuff back in the day, I was like, Oh yeah, Greg raped me. This is the whole story. And he was like mad. I remember him getting up. He was walking downstairs in his, in his uh, house at the time we were living with his parents um, right out of high school. And I told him it and he was downstairs, like walking, he was pacing. He was like dealing with the emotions of it. That strong of an emotion from someone, especially after being so, denied of allowing that emotion for myself from other people in my life that created this openness of just communication in general, right? Like if I can tell you one of the worst stories of my life and you're able to react and allow me to have emotion by having an emotion, right? He didn't try and over, he didn't try and take over the emotion train there. He, he had emotion and kind of like started the train. Like, yeah, you should be angry about this. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel that just in life in general. So now as we walk through life together, we're both on this emotional train. He allowed, he gave me permission to have feelings. And so even just walking through anything with him is a different perspective. I would say in regards to like our, our sexual life together, some things I can't do. Like I'm not willing to be extra spicy some days. I, or maybe just not at all. Right. And so we have to consistently communicate when it comes to um, sex in our marriage and especially going through the heat of processing through my trauma, I couldn't be intimate. Mm -hmm. And that was, it was, it's tough because you want to be intimate with your spouse, but then to be like, I can't meet you there right now he didn't, he didn't fight that. He was there. He was like, okay, we're along that. 
Right. So I think that's super essential. The, the constant communication that him and I have about sex is beautiful because he's willing to meet me on that emotional train. Oh, that's amazing. And also, I think whether or not you were abused or raped or whatever you've been through, I don't think that not feeling like sometimes, hey, I'm not going to be spicy is pretty reasonable. <laughs> you know, like that that definitely is it comes and goes. And also, right. I think like you also probably level up sexually as you begin to heal these things because you things that you were afraid of or things that you felt like you couldn't do or or whatever it is you just develop a greater openness as you begin to heal so you know what could be perceived in whether it's emotion coming up and we're like ah oh, I don't want to be perceived as weak or you know triggers coming up i mean these really are like you're 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 healing and becoming freer to experience these things that you have a lot of negative emotions associated with. I mean, experiencing sex when you've healed from trauma or are healing from trauma is completely different. You know, I know for me, like I, for a long time, I sort of associated my worth and interest from people based on like, if you wanted to have sex with me, like the, the amount of sex that you wanted to have was directly related to how much you like me was like mm -hmm. how my brain kind of worked. And so like rewiring that and then being like, oh, if you don't want to have sex currently, it could be because, hey, I'm not feeling spicy tonight or, hey, I just am tired or, hey, you know, I'm fucking got my own shit that I'm dealing with, you know, <laughs> anything instead of yeah. me just internalizing it and being like, oh, okay, well, you don't like me and I'm not worthy now or whatever the thing yeah. is, you know, yes. so these are the things that we begin to piece together. Like you said, the puzzle, uh, the, the, the personality puzzle of our emotions in life, it begins to, the more you reflect on it and the more attention we put on it, the more we can figure out why we are the way that we are and what we want to heal. Yeah, that's, wow. I mean, it's really an amazing thing to have had a, a partner who's that supportive, who's been with you throughout all of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, that's really, really cool. I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful. It's definitely a unique situation. And um, I think like my first, my very first indication that like he was a keeper, <laughs> one of, uh, not, not the, but one of them senior year, we were like a couple months into our relationship and we started getting hot and heavy mm -hmm. and he stops and he goes, I think we should wait. And I was like, Oh my God, like the respect you have for me. Like, I like it. You know what I mean? So yeah, going, yeah. especially going from like people that are taking advantage of me and my body to then somebody that's like, no, I want to wait. Just that respect level was there. And yeah. I think that's so essential walking into relationships that like the communication about sex and then that respect level of like, I respect your body enough to take that step back. I don't know. That was really huge for me personally as a, um, sexual assault victim survivor yeah and that's where i would have been like oh so you hate me or like you, you know you're not you don't like me or whatever you know and it's like no i like you more than you would think more than yeah. i would if i just wanted to have sex with you so totally. it's, yeah are you back oh, i can see back. you now yes hey okay my says my internet connection is unstable good good zoom good. get it together we are okay. at the end yes we are we are so close okay um so we were talking about how when you did tell your mom uh, and how that ended up being, I was asking if it was like a, if it was sort of a spontaneous thing that just came up and um, would you mind just <laughs> telling that yeah, part again? No, you're good. So, oh, I wasn't planning on talking to my mom about what happened when I was five because we hadn't had the conversation. I mean, this is new information for me um, and I wasn't really ready. I think like 
I just, I guess I just didn't know how to bring it up to her without it being a trigger to her because being a parent and then hearing that somebody that you brought into the house after your own sexual assault history, you know, and vowing, I'll never let that happen to my child, bringing someone into the house and then hearing years later, you know, 23 years later that that person did assault your child. I was afraid of what that would look like for my mom because it's the weight you carry as like a victim of where you just emotionally are trying to protect everybody else. Right. Like while you're dealing with your own thing, I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to tell my mom, I don't know. And I even talked to my therapist about it. She's like, you don't have to talk about it with your mom. Um, but when your email popped through, I happened to just be sitting next to her. I felt like I just needed to talk to her then. And at first, actually, when I told her, she was like, I figured something happened because you told, cause at the time when they, when she told me they were getting a divorce, my brother and my older brother, and my older sister were crying. And I remember thinking, I need to pretend to cry. So it doesn't look like anything happened. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Oh, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. <laughs> and I was five. So I was, I was young, you know, like to, to even like rationalize that, like, I need to protect my, you know, like protect the story. I'm going to pretend to cry. But I did end up telling her that he hurt me and that he would, um, he would hold me like a baby and he'd squeeze me in half as he was taking me to nap time. And so that I think is what I remembered the most from it all and what I was comfortable telling her at the time. And then I remember the more you cry, the more it'll hurt. That's what I told her. So that's what she knew of what happened to me when I was young. So I'm sure there was already like some processing through that of like, dang, I brought this person into our home. He was only there for three months, but he hurt my child. Yeah. I was afraid of what else that would look like if I like telling her the sexual part, part of it. Um, when I did tell her, she was super receptive. She actually kind of gave me space to tell her all of my stories. She was so willing to hear everything. And I thought that was amazing. It was a really beautiful moment between me and my mom that I felt seen and I felt safe. And I'm just really glad that we had that moment and, and she allowed me to have it without like interjecting her own emotions. However, I do still want to continuously check on my mom because that was only like a week and a half ago. You know, I want to make sure that we're communicating through it as well, because I know it's not my job to heal her, but I want to make sure that she has someone she can speak with about it as well. Totally. And the way that she responded to you telling her was like the best thing that you can do is just be there. Just be there with the person. Don't try to make things anything other than how they are. Like just listen for as long as they as we need to talk. Like just be there. And it's an opportunity for her to heal more, even more than she already has. Even though it may be difficult and inevitably will be difficult, it's a level up. It's a level up for you both individually and it's a level up for your relationship. You grow so much when you get to that level of authenticity and honesty with somebody. And in the same way that when people find out that you were molested, it's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm not really worried about more things coming up. It's also like there's no secrets. It's like, here, this is this is what happened. And, and she can see the person that you are and have become in spite of everything that you've been through. So as much as as hard as it is for her to hear that this happened and it was somebody that she led into your home and all of that stuff, like she can be so proud of the person that you've become and it's not something that in many ways it's just like deepens her love and connection for you and and to show 
her that despite that you don't blame her that you don't hold any of these negative feelings towards her and that you really want her to just you know you got you want to be on the same page i mean that shows like an immense amount of trust and you're caring for her by being honest about it so um and caring for yourself it's all for the best as hard as it may be when you're going through it is the ovarian cyst related to the fertility work that you were talking about um, yes and no. So I have PCOS and people what is with, that? so I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I, my, um, there's a couple different like angles you can come in at. I have high testosterone, which interrupts kind of just like my, my hormonal cycle basically. Um, so my progesterone, my estrogen, my testosterone are all just kind of like not doing what they're supposed to be doing, which causes little cysts on my ovaries to develop. Um, as you have cycles, as you have like periods and stuff, you develop follicles while people with PCOS, sometimes your hormones aren't communicating properly. So you're, they're maybe not releasing or, um, it's causing too many, uh, cysts or, uh, rather follicles that turn into cysts pop up on your ovaries. So on my ovaries, I have a bunch of little cysts all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they can grow bigger. So I've had one before that was about the size of like a softball. So ish, you know, like softball ish, uh, that I had removed. And then this one was the size of a cantaloupe. So, um, which is like really big. (laughs) (laughs) And I, when I found out about it, I actually started getting like over stimulated, like sensory wise. Cause I'm like, this thing is in my body. I can't do anything about it until I have surgery. And then I'm like wanting to crawl out of my own skin. Cause it was just, yeah. it's just there. And it's, it's a thing. And I'm like, just pretend it's a baby. And then I'm like, but it's not a baby. It's a, it's like, it's not supposed to be there. That's on yeah. my ovary. Like your ovary is the size of an almond. Wow. So like the damage that can come from something that big, I didn't think I was going to walk out with both of my ovaries. I didn't know if I was going to walk out with a uterus. I didn't know what was going to happen. So it, I have, so because of the polycystic ovarian syndrome, I did have fertility issues uh, conceiving my child. And that took about two years. And they say the hardest thing to do when you have PCOS is to get pregnant. But the best thing to do for PCOS is to get pregnant because it almost, it's supposed to help your hormones, which it did for a really long time up until this cantaloupe. Until my <laughs> half child, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we don't want any more kids. And so my daughter was like, my sister, my sister, she's like learning all these words. She like, I'm <laughs> saying sister. And I'm like, well, you were close. It was a cyst or right. Like, <laughs> yeah, kinda. it doesn't have a penis or vagina, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's, that's definitely another, um, fun reproductive issue that just happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess, I don't know. That's wild. I love making people feel uncomfortable by talking about stuff like that. (laughs) Like after I had my child, I had an anal fissure. Didn't know what the hell that was. Like a a break? Like with rocks? Uh, Oh, (laughs) well, it's a break in your skin. It's like a, it's basically like a, it's a, it's a cut basically. So when I had my daughter, you that you get told, oh, you have, you can get hemorrhoids because it's pressure from like when you're pushing your baby out or when you're just pregnant, the pressure of it on your, on your undercarriage, um, you can get hemorrhoids. And so I thought it was hemorrhoids for the longest time. And it was like excruciating. Every time I had to go to the bathroom, it was like giving birth all over again. It was so painful. 
And I finally went into the doctor and he was like, I can see your muscle. Not supposed to be like that at all. It was, yeah. it was really bad. So I ended up having to get surgery on that. I love telling that story. I'm like, yeah, I had an anal fissure. I had to get my butthole fixed. I had to go have surgery on my butthole and I have a new butthole. <laughs> like the word butthole like really makes people like, yeah, that's great. Please stop saying that word. Like my yeah. husband, uh, he doesn't like the word poop or fart or butthole or diarrhea or anything. And I'm like, I say it all the time just to watch him squirm. Because why? De-stigmatize yeah. things that make people uncomfortable. The commonality yeah. of that, huge. There's so many women after I originally posted the story on Instagram years ago when it happened, there are people that came out of the woodwork that were like, I think that's what I have. And so they went to the doctor and they ended up finding out that's what they had. It's kind of like with this platform, when you talk about things that make people uncomfortable, you're actually helping give the tools to other people to use in their own stories and their own life yes. and their own health. So whether it's molestation, rape, or buttholes, we cover it all here. On we what got you. <laughs> Whatever it is. If I, see, if I see you squirming, that means I need to talk about it more. <laughs> yes, that is, that's so true. It's like if there's, because it is a trigger, basically. Yep. Squirming would be a version of being triggered. It's like, ah, I feel uncomfortable, or ah, I feel scared, some sort of negative emotion. And it's like, okay, let's get into why that is. What do you, what do you really feel? I mean, you're, you're, are you afraid of buttholes, or is there something that happened to you? <laughs> you that that made you feel this way right. um yeah it's it's so interesting but you had it removed and had how are you doing currently i'm oh. great i feel i enjoy my daily bowel movements for the most part as yeah. one would um <laughs> yeah. i no longer have a cantaloupe in my belly which is awesome uh that came with its own aftermath but i'm good now you know i'm, I'm healing i'm still in the process of healing I'm about a month out of that so mm -hmm. Um, yeah, all of the things that make people uncomfortable. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. Why not? Might as well. If there's anything that makes people feel uncomfortable, it's like that is <laughs> making it harder to talk about. So let's right. do it as much as we can. You've clearly done an incredible amount of healing with regards to all of the things that we've talked about today. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar or many of these things that is hoping to get to the point where you're at now? I would say my advice for people walking through this journey is that healing isn't linear. It's not, okay, I'm going to heal today. And then you're healed. You have to meet yourself where you are. So I can't expect myself to be completely and totally healed because that's not where I am right now. And we're never going to be completely and totally healed. We're going to have these moments in our life that you may have to revisit and giving yourself grace as you walk through the healing journey is the most important thing because we can beat ourselves up all day long, man. I thought I was healed. I thought I had already dealt with this. Why am I dealing with this again? I'm so weak. You're not though. There are different levels and there's different lenses of looking at your story and you have to heal in that lens. Well, now I'm a parent. Now I'm, now I'm later in my life. I have my brains fully developed. I've had other experiences. I've had more knowledge of what consent is. Mm -hmm. Well, now I'm grieving that my consent was taken from me. Now I'm grieving as a mother to myself, to my inner child. So healing isn't a one-stop shop. Meet yourself where you are. And especially in those moments when you feel triggered, give yourself even more grace. Allow yourself to take that extra time because you cannot rush healing. It is not something that you can do overnight. 
I hope that other people are able to take something from that as well. I'm so sure they will. And, you know, it, you're right. There's no healing that is more important than the healing that you're doing right now. Keeping your attention on what's what you're currently experiencing and, and knowing that you can heal and recover from whatever it is that you've been through and that there's no rush and rushing makes it last longer. So <laughs> that <laughs> too. Oh my yeah. God. Don't fight yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> just go through it. <laughs> yes. Oh, Brooke, it has just been such a pleasure chatting with you and I'm really grateful for you taking the time to, to come on here and share your story. It's uh it's a really inspiring journey. Thank you for having me. And again, thank you for this platform. This is something that can help us as individuals and other people. And it's a very essential tool for all of us. So thank you. Of course. Thank you for doing this. That was so good. Oh Oh my God. I'm going to be one of those episodes that I listen to when I walk my dog. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's a trip when you hear yourself on it for sure. Yo, that was so good. Yay. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Good. Good. Honestly, like a really good. I kind of, when you run, I mean, you challenge yourself when you run a marathon, even if you're the most, uh, well-trained tra- marathoner. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know totally. so, so walking into it, I was like, I'm good. Like, I know that my purpose is good with this, but I was like freaking out a little bit. I was like running around the house, really honestly screaming. I was like, <laughs> because that's how I release energy. I think it's so essential, like releasing energy, um, in, we call it family scream time. So we as a family time because it's like, instead of screaming into a pillow, I don't want to scream into a pillow. It goes into my pillow. Then all of my energy just went in my pillow. I want to scream out loud so it can like go away. And so we do it like my husband and my daughter and I will like sit in a little huddle and we'll scream together. Wow. I love that. There's value in that, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to scream into what I sleep on. No. Yeah. No, then I'll dream about it. Exactly. (laughs) It's, incredible that you talk about this in the way that you do for how new this is it's really really dope thank you i think too just having this conversation with you feeling so safe and feeling so drawn into having this conversation with you um i think was kind of the start of of that sharing process because i never knew how to talk about it so and even just as simple as like the videos and the videos you do where you're like you're good dude like you're good. You know, yeah. nobody's thinking about you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <totally. laughs> I love it. No, I love it. Because, and my, my husband you. and I, we have what, what we call TikTok time. So if we see videos throughout the day, we like, we send it to each other. Uh-huh. And then at the end of the day, we watch through them together. And I've showed him probably half a dozen of yours. Uh-huh. And then night, he was asking me, he was like, oh um, yeah. Like who, who's the guy, you know, whatever, like, tell me more about it. And I was like, oh, Sebastian. And I like pulled up your TikTok. He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That's a lot of people and I love it. So. Oh, thank you. you. That's all. I really appreciate that. <laughs>